Uh, it is a privilege to be here. Uh, I got to be here, I think, last summer for a couple weeks. So some of you guys don't remember me, but I hope I can live up to, to Ben's introduction. Uh, but one of the things I want us to look at this morning, and I, I entitled, Ben kind of gave me a hard time because I entitled this, ser- this sermon, Come and Eat. And uh, he laughingly sent me a little uh, gif uh, about that, and so we, we got a good laugh about that. But what I hope you hear this morning is I hope you hear an invitation, a very personal invitation uh, from our Lord and Savior Jesus, right? And I think the reality is that so oftentimes you and I come to a setting like this and we have very different emotions going on. Some of us may feel very close to God right now. Some of us may feel very distant from God right now. But I hope no matter where you feel that you are right now in your life in this moment, I hope that you hear God's deep love and concern for you really on an individual basis, not just for God so loved the world that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but also that God loves you and he loves me and he loves us and he longs to be with us. Um, think about it. The God of the universe planned eternity so that the majority, well, the majority, I guess there is no majority of eternity, but he planned eternity so that much of eternity would play out with you and I in his presence. Can you just imagine that? The God of the universe, like, like listen to that again. The God of the universe planned out eternity that you and I might be present with him being his coming. I don't know about you. You probably don't plan out your life so that your in-laws will be present with you for most of your life. You probably don't plan out your life so that people you don't like or don't care for, um, and I don't mean your in-laws now at this point. I just mean in general, okay? Um, you probably don't plan out your life so that that's who you spend the majority of your time with. If you and I worked at a place and we didn't um, we didn't enjoy the people we worked with. We didn't enjoy the work we were doing. We would probably be constantly on Indeed or some other site looking for another, for another place to work, right? And yet God has orchestrated eternity that he might gather his people, that they might be with him um, from then on. It's just an amazing story. So I don't know about you. Most of you are, are probably somewhere around my age, and so you've probably found this new amazing thing that Jesus has given us as a gift of grace. I remember being in seminary, we were talking about the means of grace, and if I remember right, there were seven of them. Um, I think there's now an eighth one. For those of you who are anywhere either near my age or older, it's called podcasts. What I love about them is my children hate them. Not sure why. I think it's like back when I was a kid and my mom would listen to talk radio, so I can kind of empathize a little bit with them. Uh, but I love podcasts. Uh, I'm not sponsored by any podcasts, but I do want to tell you about one that I've been listening to recently. Uh, it's a podcast called Deadville. And basically what it is, is there's a bunch of uh, Christian artists and some non-Christians that come on to their podcast. It's two musicians. Um, and they begin to talk about two things. One is what that person's experience was like growing up with their own father and then they talk to them about what it means to them now to be a dad. So, for instance, one of the latest episodes, they have Matthew McConaughey on. Uh, but then also they'll turn around and they'll have 
an Andrew Peterson on or someone who's known in the Christian community. So, so they bring these people in. And I think one of the fascinating things is, and I, I honestly do not remember who the guest was on this day, but one of their questions is, what do you want your children to say about you at your funeral? Right? So what would you like your children to say about you at your funeral? And the answer that this person gave um, has sort of messed me up for about a month. All right? Here's the answer he gave. He said, I hope that my children will say that they knew deep in their heart that their father enjoyed them. Think about that. That their father enjoyed them. And so as, you know, I kind of heard that. And, you know, I'm passing. You'll hear something and you kind of go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if my children feel like I enjoy them. But then, you know, after a while, God starts using things like that. And you start thinking about it on a bigger scale. And you think about, I wonder if people enjoy me. Do they enjoy being around me? Do I enjoy, or do they, do they know that I enjoy being around them? Right? And so I've been stuck on this idea for about a month of in relationships, uh, both having people around us who truly enjoy us and then also us being uh, enjoyed by other people. Right? And so uh, many of you guys know, Ben just mentioned it. I was here at Covenant and worked with Ben for a while. And uh, I want to say Ben and I probably worked together off and on for about five years and I can remember early on, uh, we're very different people. We're wired very differently. Uh, ben is very much uh, an organizer. He's a planner. Um, I would get long Excel spreadsheets of lists of things that we needed to do, which really was an Excel spreadsheet of the things I needed to do that he felt like I needed to do. Um, and I, on the other hand, am very uh, in the moment. I'm very much, very much a passionate person. Um, if someone is in need and we're planning a camp, their need supersedes the planning of that camp because I can, I can pull that camp off. I'm okay with that, right? And so just wired very differently. So at one point, um, Ben will probably be able to tell me the name of this place, but we went down. So if you go down Malabar, um, you have Ken Egram's favorite place is on the right. It's a, a Frisbee golf course right there. And on the other side is a park. What's that park? Do you remember it? Okay. Anyway, anyway, do you guys know the park I'm talking about? So Ben and I went there, and we had um, what I knew in college to be a DTR, which means we needed to define the relationship because things were not going uh, well, and I think it was frustrating for both of us. And in that moment of us sitting and listening to each other in our frustrations and our, um, you know, the things we wanted to happen and the things we felt like weren't happening. And we, we both got to speak into it. Um, you then fast forward, you know, uh, years of working together later. And I can really say that Ben Harris is one of the people I've most enjoyed in my life. And so part of what I want to invite you to is this idea of can God actually enjoy me as a person? Do you understand the question? So, so here's what the gospel would look like without this in question. For God so loved the world, he gave his son, right? That if we believe on him, we might not perish but have eternal life. And so God, because of us believing in his son, sort of lets us graciously spend eternity in his presence. 
But you know what? You come into the throne room and you find your way to the back. Right? You find your way to the back because you don't deserve to be there. Well, the reality is this. No one deserves to be there. That's part of the premise of the gospel. Right? But certainly I know that I don't deserve to be there. God has just been kind to me because of what Jesus did. And so I slump in to the back of the room. I hide back there by where the coffee is. Right? And maybe, maybe I serve people some coffee because that makes me feel a little better uh, about my shame and about um, all the times that I didn't live up to what I know God maybe called me to do. All the times that maybe I didn't have a conversation with a coworker where I felt like the door was open and I could have told them about what God has done for them in Jesus. Right? All those things that you and I carry around, the things that we feel like the what ifs, the should haves, the things we feel like we fell short of doing. And so this morning, my hope is that you would see Jesus for who he really is. He is truly a friend. He is a savior, uh, but he is also deeply, deeply, deeply uh, in love with you, in love with me, uh, and longs to have a relationship with us. So we're going to look at a story that comes from John 21. Uh, there's some really, really funny moments in this. Uh, if you listen well, uh, you know, oftentimes, I don't know about you, I grew up in the church, so sometimes I come to a passage of Scripture that I feel like I know, and I kind of breeze through it. You know, I just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is the scene where Jesus interacts with Peter uh, post-resurrection. So Jesus has done his work on the cross. We've had this miraculous resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus spends 40 days appearing to different people at different times and having these conversations with them. And many of you may know this is the moment where Jesus shows up to Peter and he asks Peter really awkwardly three times, Peter, do you love me? Right? Um, I feel like I'm at Beachside. We used to have a church plant over at Beachside. Uh, Covenant did. And so I used to feel the freedom to ask questions uh, does anybody know why or think they would know why Jesus asks the same question three times of Peter? Gaston? Right. So Peter's denied him three times. Right. And so it seems like Jesus is mirroring that. And I think he is. I think that's the exact right answer. Um, and so for me, that, that's what the story was. Right. Peter's denied Jesus. And so Jesus asks him really awkwardly three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter has to say, I love you. And then he's like, Peter, do you love me? I, yes, Lord, I, I love you. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> right? Like, imagine the awkwardness of this conversation. But I want you to see that there's even more going on. So uh, this is the Gospel of John. John is present there. If you remember, John is uh, known as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right, And that, that's going to show up in this story in a really funny way. Uh, but John actually gives us three stories of individuals that Jesus interacts with post-resurrection. So the first story is the story of Mary right at the tomb, you may remember. Okay? Uh, Mary and this group of women, uh, more than likely including Jesus' mother, show up at the tomb. They're there. They're going to dress the body. They're going to care uh, for their Savior who has died. Right, And they find the tomb is empty. Right? And so they run back to tell that the tomb's empty. But then there's another scene. So we flash forward in the movie to another scene where it's just Mary Magdalene and she's standing there at the tomb 
And all of a sudden she sees this person that she perceives as a gardener or caretaker of the area. Um, and after a while, uh, the person says, you know, whom are you looking for? And she says, I'm looking for my savior. And then he says her name again. And she, she realizes who it is. Now, there's a great question here because throughout these 40 days of Jesus being on earth before he ascends to heaven, uh, Jesus is initially not recognized by the disciples. Okay, and there's a myriad of reasons why this may be. Uh, it seems as though at times Jesus um, sort of puts scales over their eyes so they can't really see who he is, and then he sort of reveals himself. Um, some people have said, which I sort of believe, that there is somewhat of a difference between Jesus uh, in just fully human form and Jesus post-resurrection, right? We're told that Jesus is the first fruits of a new creation in which we'll participate uh, and so that may be a piece of it. Maybe there's some kind of a, a you know, difference there, okay? Uh, some people have even said that Jesus, because he's gone through the Passion Week uh, and he's beaten so severely that, that Jesus is unrecognizable because of what he has endured from the cross. Um, to me, that doesn't seem to be what's going on here because Jesus winds up being, um, no one is fearful of him. If you think about some of the appearances you may remember in your head, no one's fearful of him. No one says, oh, stay away from that guy. That guy looks like he's been through it. And then they realize it's Jesus. It's oftentimes he's just, he just blends in to the scenery and to the crowd. And then they realize who it is. Um, but his first appearance is to Mary. Then he appears uh, to Doubting Thomas, or at least this isn't the order in which he appears. This is the order in which John presents it to us in his gospel because he appears to many people. But he appears to Mary first in this gospel. Then he appears to Thomas, right? And we all probably remember the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Thomas basically says, I will not believe that Jesus resurrected until I see it for myself. I feel like Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap, okay? Um, I think Thomas, in the other stories where Thomas appears in the gospels, he is oftentimes the disciple who gets what's going on. So it's really weird that in this moment, Thomas seems like the one who's like behind on what's going on. I think Thomas more than likely realizes exactly what is at stake here. And if Jesus has resurrected, then Jesus is truly God. He deserves all of my loyalty. And I think what Thomas is somewhat saying is, I've got to see this for myself. Right, So if someone came running in here to us and they said, there's a 15-foot python out in the parking lot, some of us would say, I've got to see this for myself. Right? Um, we don't 100% know exactly what's happening uh, in that story, but we know that Jesus shows up and he cares for Thomas. Right? Jesus could have shown up and said, you don't believe, you know, be gone with you, out of my sight, you unworthy, unbelieving sinner. He could have said that to Thomas. He doesn't, right? And then this is the last of those stories, him showing up to Peter. But each one of them are different. See, Mary has all of these fears that she's worried about, these could-haves, these would-haves. Where is this body? What has happened to Jesus? What's going on? And Jesus shows up to comfort her. Thomas has all of these doubts floating around in his head. He's uncertain. He's unsure. He needs to experience it for himself. More than likely, in one of these three characters, you're going to find yourself in the questions you have about the work of Jesus on the cross. 
But John so kindly writes these stories to tell us that God goes to each one of these individuals in just the way in which they need him to present himself so that they can know that they're okay. That Jesus loves them. That Jesus cares for them. So join me as we look at uh, John 21 verses 3 through 11. And I'm sure that scripture has been up for a while. All right. Um, ESV, uh, reading this in ESV, uh, it doesn't read quite as well on a story like this as like the NIV, uh, but we'll work through it. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Right? They were fishermen by trade. Simon Peter uh, has some things going on in his life. And so he thinks in his mind, I'm not sure what to do. The best thing I can do is just know what I, do what I know to do. I'm going to go back to being a fisherman. They said to him, which would have been many of the disciples who were gathered, we will go with you. Now, I love this. Okay. How many of you guys are introverts? Okay. I'm I'm an introvert. I enjoy being around people, but they take energy from me. I need time alone. And when I say, or if I ever said something like, I'm going fishing, more than likely it would mean, I want to be by myself. And what I love is the disciples say, that sounds good. Let's go. Right? And so off they go with, John, with, uh, with Peter. And they say, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They said to him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Uh, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter. Now, let's pause for a second. Because uh, this is part of what I really enjoy about Scripture. Right? Um, if, if you and I were reading mythology, Greek mythology, whatever mythology you enjoy... Um, in college, I took a, a class on uh, medieval literature. There's a lot of mythology in there. The King Arthur stories, all that stuff comes from that. Mythologies are fun to read. Mythologies don't read at all like this. Legends don't read at all like this, right? Who wrote this book that we're reading? John. Who is the beloved disciple? John. Who in his own book just said... That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, right? This is how I would write this story if it had happened to me. If Ben Harris was Peter and I was John, I would want to remind people that I am the one in whom Jesus loved. And then there's the other guy named Ben who's also in the boat. <laughs> and I was the one who said the following. It is the Lord. Right. Um, if, if this was a legend, OK, if you have any questions about the legitimacy of the Bible, just listen to this story and notice the sort of awkward things that are thrown in that you and I skim through because we've, we've heard it so much. Right. But we miss out. John, in his own book, um, gives himself the title of the one whom Jesus loved. Right. Any legend, you would have had that taken out. Uh, when Simon Peter heard 
that it, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, uh, for he had taken it off for work. I changed that because it reads really weird in the NSV. <laughs> and he threw himself into the sea. Okay, so imagine Peter here. Peter hears someone cry out, it's the Lord. And Peter does not hesitate. He grabs his stuff. He propels himself off the boat into the water and he begins to swim, run, whatever is necessary to get to Jesus. Verse 8, the other's disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from land. They were about 100 yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught. This, this beautiful invitation Jesus gives for them to bring some of their own uh, and dine with him. Verse 11, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. So he has to return back to the boat, okay? Because he's already jumped off, so he's got to go back to the boat uh, to help get out the fish. Uh, full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net uh, was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Right, there's... Um, so far, John has told us multiple stories, and oftentimes Jesus asked the question, who are you? Uh, because they don't want to just uh, give a title, right, to someone they're unsure of, of the Lord. And so they're hesitant, but in this case, none of them are going to dare ask that question, for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples or that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that's an interesting question. The reason why Jesus asked the question the way he does is because, um, did anybody just notice some similarities to a meal that had probably happened just days, maybe weeks before, right? Jesus breaks bread. He gives it to the disciples. So it would have to have been a reminder of the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Peter makes a declaration. When Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times, Peter says, uh-uh, there's no way I'll do it. And Peter looks around the table and he says, these guys may do it, but I'm not doing it. That is, if you go back and read the Last Supper, that is what Peter says. Peter sets himself apart from the other disciples because he says, no, 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 I'm more loyal. And so when Jesus comes to revisit this moment with Peter, I think purely out of kindness, okay, um, it almost feels like Jesus kind of stabbing the knife into Peter, but I think you'll see that he's not. Purely out of kindness, Jesus' opening question is, do you love me more than these? Sort of like, Peter, you remember what you said? Do you remember what you said about these other guys? So are you still going to make that same statement? Uh, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to, them, to him, feed my lambs. Uh, verse 16, Jesus said to him for the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time. Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the Lord speaking. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So three quick things I want us to see. Uh, Some of them we've already talked about. But one is the dilemma that's facing Peter. Okay. Uh, Secondly is this invitation to Jesus. Thirdly is, is the recommissioning of Peter. But, you know, you get all these vivid details in the story. You get the number of fish, 153. You get how far the boat was from the shore. You get Peter, you know, leaping into the water. Okay. Um, And those details are there. And it's as if John is searching his memory for everything he can remember about this moment that happened between Jesus and Peter. Right. And so John is like you and I would if we were telling the story, we would throw in unneeded details into that story as we tried our best to remember it. Okay. You know, we would say something like, I even remember he was wearing a red shirt when it happened. It doesn't matter what shirt he's wearing. It doesn't matter the exact number of fish necessarily. I mean, you know, a lot of people have done some research to try to figure out what the number 153 means. And there's all kinds of numerology stuff you could look at. Uh, but, but the reality is, it's a detail there because the story is true. And John is reflecting this very true uh, story to us. But, you know, the story is, is even more important because of where it falls on the timeline of Jesus. It's after his resurrection. We see his new glorified body. We see Jesus doing things like eating fish. You know, there's, there's these great questions, I think, that are answered here about the, the, the nature of heaven and the, the resurrection and what you and I will one day experience. Um, you know, if we just view heaven as sort of this ethereal place where our souls float off and uh, we're given some kind of musical instrument and we just walk up the heavenly stairs and we join the heavenly choir somewhere and we begin to sing with all the other angels, um, this story seems to stand in the face of that, that heaven is a very, very real place. I jokingly tell my kids all the time, when you get to heaven, if you wonder where I'll be, I'll be in, living in New York City. Um, and, and part of what I think that promise of heaven is for you and I is that you and I don't have to get everything in this life, that there is a real, tangible, physical nest to heaven, that you and I will have other adventures, you and I will have other journeys to take, you and I will make new relationships, we will meet new people. Um, you will be able to go sit down with Peter and say, oh my goodness, what were you thinking when Jesus said that three times to you? Okay, you'll be able to ask him those kind of questions. Um, you and I will be able to meet the great Christian authors of the past, whether for you it's a John Stott or it's a C.S. Lewis or it's a J.R. Tolkien, whoever it is, you'll get to sit down with them, you'll get to meet them, you'll get to ask them about their experience and what their story was like. Heaven here is, is pictured and the resurrection is pictured as real tangible, physical, um, Jesus sitting at a fire and eating fish. And man, I don't know about you, but that's good news. 
That's something to let my heart and my soul just revel in. I don't have to get everything in this life. This life doesn't have to fulfill me. I don't have to do everything that's in my dreams. Um, there's, a, there's an author who wrote a sort of a memoir at one point, and he was turning 40, and one of the things he said in that memoir was, I've realized that, that now my lifespan doesn't match the dreams that I have of what I could do in my life, right? I mean, what, what dreams did you have that you've lost? Was it you wanted to write a book? Was it you wanted to be a musician? You know, what was it? But every one of us have lost some dreams because we feel like we've made this choice and we've gone down this road and we made, we made this choice and now we, we're in this career. But man, I really wish I would have, you know, uh, been a detective one day. I, mean, I guess you can't really be a detective in, in heaven because there's no crime. It's a great question. Uh, but minus detective, there are a lot of adventures for you and I to have in heaven. So one of my favorite pictures of this is um, C.S. Lewis writes Chronicles of Narnia. If you read all seven books, you come to the last one, work your way through the last one. It's kind of weird because there's like, I don't remember, it's like, it's, it gets kind of crazy, okay, at some point. Um, but at the very last moment, when all of the, the characters who have been on this adventure of these seven books, they all get ready to enter into what is their heaven in this land, okay? Uh, and the, the main characters... Uh, it started out originally as four kids, is now down to three kids. But as, and you can read the book and find out why. But as they're walking in uh, to heaven, they look, and they all have grown up in London. So the books really start with this beautiful scene of London being bombed, and kids are sent out to the countryside to say safe, which, which would have really happened uh, during World War II. They're sent out to the countryside, and while they're in the countryside, they find this wardrobe, they go in this wardrobe, they go in this magical land, right? So the end of these great stories... They're getting ready to walk into heaven. And the kids look at heaven, and do you know what they see? They see London. They see a little slightly different London, but it's recognizably London. And so the beauty is here. John is, is screaming to us. This life will never fulfill you because you are destined to have amazing adventures. You are destined to spend an eternity with God. You are destined to spend an eternity with the one who loved you so much that he gave up his own life to die for you. Uh, so Jesus, again, begins to show up at the right time. Peter. So the dilemma Peter's facing is this dilemma of Peter has denied Jesus. Uh, I don't know where, what Peter would have come out on the Enneagram, right? Any of you guys really cool into the Enneagram? I don't know where he would have come out. Some people said he's a six because those are like really loyal people. Um, I, I think he's probably a little different than that. But what we do know about Peter is, one, he was a hard worker. I mean, he had chosen a profession where you got up early in the morning and you stayed till you caught enough fish to, to basically be able to continue to live. Um, secondly, we know he's fiercely loyal, right? At one point, they come in to, to seize Jesus. Peter's the one who takes the sword and says... You know, he's like, basically, I love this because Peter thinks that, sorry to be tickled, but Peter thinks that this is the moment that we are going to start the great rebellion. Jesus has come. He's going to set up this earthly kingdom. This is the moment. And so Peter pulls off his sword and he's like, 
you know, for Narnia in the north. And he yells and he slices off the dude's ear, one of the soldiers ear. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. Right. Jesus heals, heals the ear, all that stuff. Um, but but that's Peter. He's fiercely loyal. He's passionate. He jumps into action impulsively. The beauty is. When he sees Jesus, do you remember what he did? He lapped out of the boat. He's still Peter. He's still the same dude. Um, when I was growing up, um, I became a Christian when I was seven. Uh, I responded to what I think was a very true call in my life when I was seven. But, but for many years, I feel like my faith was sort of this um, crisis management tool that I had. Like when I was in crisis, you would pull out Jesus and God, right? And you just start praying and you know, God, people are upset with me, or, you know, something would happen in your life. And, and, and I can remember one of, the, one of the issues with that became that for me, God was sort of like uh, this sort of trump card that you only pulled out when you really needed to, when you needed it, right? And part of my fear, um, I kind of had this distinction from going to church of like Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, which I think is a little problematic, but just track with me for a second. So Jesus is Savior. I've accepted what he did on the cross for me. And um, one day when I die, I'll pull that little card out and be like, yeah, I said yes. I've signed my card, you know, right? And so that the end uh, versus Jesus Lord, where he begins to be at work in my life. I give him control of my life. He begins to manage and organize things. Uh, that I would look more like Jesus. And so I was kind of struggling with that little dichotomy, which I think a lot of us would probably struggle with at different times or felt like we were struggling with at different times. Um, and, and one of the problems for me was that I felt like if I gave Jesus 100% of who I was, that he would change me and I wouldn't like who he would make me into. Because I looked around, so I can remember being in high school, there was one person in my high school that I knew if a bomb went off in our high school, heaven forbid, uh, that she would float up and go to heaven. She would make it. I had no clue about any of the rest of us, but she would be transported up and go to heaven. Um, and one of the things I remember that was that she carried, she's still with my friend, so if you want to flip through my Instagram, you'll figure out probably who it is. Uh, but... She she had the like little lace cover for the Bible, right? You remember this? And she probably is probably in this room, but anyway, and it's fine. Have have a lace cover for your Bible, but she had a lace cover and she'd take it to school, and you would see her at lunch reading the Bible. And now, like, I'm so envious of this, but I can just remember thinking. But but here was the problem in high school. She was it it, it was for me. It looked as though. She was very disconnected, like people alienated her as she went included in things, things like that. And I didn't want to be that person, right? I was terrified that he would change who I was because what I loved was I loved to compete. I don't care. You want to flip quarters to a wall. You want to play tennis, play basketball, whatever it was, I loved to compete. And I was terrified that if I gave God 100%, I would not care anymore, right? Have you ever been in a sporting event with Christians? And they start saying, like, oh, that was out. Oh, no, 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 you go ahead. You take the ball. No, 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 it's okay. You take the ball. Right? I didn't want to be that person. I'm like, it's either out or it's not out. It's either out on you or it's out on me. We need to decide this. Right? And I was terrified that if I gave God 100%, that that's exactly what would happen. He would change me. 
And what I love in the story is we're going to see that Peter has changed through the story, but he's still Peter. He still jumps out of the boat and has to go back to get the fish. Right? He jumps out of the boat. He scrambles. He's, he's drenched. And he gets up there and Jesus says, hey, bring your fish. And he's like, oh, God. He goes back. He drags the net back over to Jesus. And he's like, let's do this. Right. And then Jesus starts having this crazy conversation with him because here's what happened. This man who is such a hard worker, who is fiercely loyal, who is deeply passionate. He has built his life on being strong and independent. And yet he crumbled at the most crucial of moments. Right. He denies Jesus three times. More than likely, at least once he denies Jesus to a young girl. Who sees him and says, aren't you one of those? Nope, not me. Nope, you got the wrong guy. Um, most commentators believe that, that there's another moment where he denies Jesus out at the city gate. Most commentators believe it's the same girl that spots him. Or some commentators tell you, it's the same girl that spots him and calls him out again. And he's like, nope, not me. Right, this fiercely loyal, passionate I'm going to be the first soldier in Jesus' army. I'm going to be head lieutenant. I'm going to be General Patton. You know, I'm going to be the dude that wins the war. I'm going to be on the front line. I'm going to be in, you know, King Arthur's court. I'm going to be one of his knights of the round table. I'm going to be the dude. And a little girl says, do you know Jesus? And he's like, nope, not me. And so he is in a deep crisis. Because you know what Peter thinks? Peter thinks, man, Jesus had all these great plans for me, and I've blown it. And in this story, if you and I are good readers of the story, we are in the same position as Peter. For whatever reason you come with this morning, that you think, you know what? I've blown it. I haven't done enough. I've done this in my past. I'm just grateful that God's going to let me sneak into the back of the room and he's going to let me sit there. And what Jesus does is he sets the scene, right? You know where Peter denied Jesus the first time? Around a campfire. So what does Jesus do? He goes and gets on the shore and he sets up a campfire. Isn't that crazy? You think Peter didn't get what was going on? I mean, I read through it and I just go, man, that's really awkward. Jesus asked that question to him three times. But you know what Jesus is doing? He's doing exactly what Peter needs to know that it's going to be okay and that God loves him. And what I love is at the end, um, Jesus restates Peter into his mission. You know, so verse 19 at the very end, Jesus says, follow me. Right? And, and where was it that Jesus had met Peter the very first time? He had called him off a fishing boat. And his question to Peter was, come and follow me. And Jesus reminds Peter, that hasn't changed. My love for you hasn't changed. Because, you know, the reality of the gospel is that it doesn't have anything to do with us. See, that was Peter's problem. Peter thought... Jesus has done this great work. Now I have to respond. And now I have to be 100% 
sold out for this. And I have to do all the right things. I have to know when it's the right time to pull out my sword. I have to stand up for Jesus and say, yes, I know Jesus. And he is God, very God. And he is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I will not deny him. That's what Peter thought the gospel looked like. And Jesus reminds Peter, what you did in denying me has nothing to do with what I did on the cross in in not denying you before my father. And um, my heart forgets that. Because I think what I do all the time... I really put way too much weight in what I do. Right? Like, when I mess up, like, we all mess up. We mess up and we know it. Right? So, um, you know, I've, I've heard people tell me, oh, I saw you guys in North Carolina in your pictures soccer tournament. What you don't know is that in that soccer tournament, me and a goalie from the other team in the finals sort of got in this weird back and forth, and all of a sudden I have this, this kid, this 16, 17-year-old, who's cussing me out on a field, shooting me birds with his big, like, soccer goalie mittens in his hand. It was ugly. And at the end, I... Now, I... I did not cuss him out. All I did was calmly explain to him that the referee is actually trying to help you guys. And he didn't like that. And it got ugly. And I don't know about you, but in those moments when your life gets ugly and you know that you like could have played that out a little differently and kept it from getting as ugly as it did, right? Um, you feel like, man, who am I? Why am I doing this? You know, I wonder if somebody walked up to that kid afterwards and been like, huh, that kid's dad's a preacher. (laughs) That guy would have been like, well, I'm not believing in Jesus ever. Um, You know, it, it would not have been a great testimony. That's how Peter felt. And you and I need Jesus to build us a campfire to invite us to sit down with him. And we need him to remind us. It doesn't have anything to do with you. And I need that. I need to hear that. Because my only call is to respond. So here's the last thing I'll share with you. There's a beautiful piece, I think, of, of Peter's story that I've never really seen before really noticed. Uh, but one of the things you see over and over again is Peter separating himself from the other disciples. I'm, I'm the greatest in the kingdom. There's that little conversation that goes on. There's a conversation where Peter, um, you know, of course, even here, where Peter says, hey, these guys may deny you, but I will never do that. I'm 100% on your side, right? Peter's separating himself. Notice the refrain with which Jesus answers Peter. The call on Peter's life is to do what? Feed my sheep. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is just Peter not getting it or if this is Jesus's somewhat sense of humor, which I think Jesus does have, um, to where he, he commissions Peter and his commissioning on Peter is to care for this community that you basically keep trying to separate yourself from. Isn't that interesting? Like that Peter's call is going to be really hard for him. I mean, Peter's not wired for that. Peter's not wired to be the one to feed the sheep. You know who should have been the one that fed the sheep? 
John. Right? If, I mean, if, if we were going to read enough leadership books, okay, if you go into the little leadership section and you pull out Simon Sinek or whoever you want to read, and you flip through the book and it says, you know, you've got to get the right people in the right seat on the bus. Like, you may have the right people in the bus, but they may be in the wrong seat. Somebody would have looked at Jesus and said, that is not the seat for Peter on the bus. But you know, it's the beauty of the gospel. Right? It's the beauty of the gospel that God would call you and I to do really hard things. Things that are going to make us have to lean on him. Things that are going to make us have to step out in faith. Things that we feel like we won't be able to do on our own. Um, and so that's what God's calling you and I to. So here's the question. You know, I love John Piper. He said this. Uh, he said that, that, you know, what our call to do as a Christian is to love God and enjoy him forever. Have you ever heard that line? Okay, I want to add a little bit to that line. Um, you know, our call is to love God and enjoy him forever and then realize that he's also going to enjoy us forever. And that's a crazy thought. Jesus goes to Mary, he goes to Thomas, he goes to Peter, and each one of them, he loves them in just the way that they need to be loved. He challenges them in just the way they need to be challenged. The reason why you know this is because Mary actually tries to touch Jesus. You know what he tells her? Don't. And then Thomas, who's the doubter, Jesus told Mary, don't touch me. He invites Thomas to touch him. Right? It's these weird moments in Scripture where we see, man, God knows you. He knows his children. He loves his children. And he enjoys them. I love that Jesus, what's the first thing Jesus does when he finally gets them all in place? And he's, he's set the scene up and he's built the scene around him because he, he's going to show Peter what he does. Scripture skips right by it. It says they ate breakfast. He didn't just say, hey, Peter, does this look familiar? Huh? Do you know why we're here? No, what does he do? He sits and enjoys them. And then he talks to Peter. But he enjoys them first. What a beautiful thing. Let's pray.